Best of Times, live from 710 Keel Studios in Shreveport, Louisiana, celebrating age and maturity, helping you make the best years of your life the best they can be. The Best of Times, your host, Gary Kaligas. Good morning, radio listeners. I'm Gary Kaligas, the publisher of The Best of Times, the only magazine and radio show for mature adults in Northwest Louisiana. I do thank you for listening to our show today and also thanking those who might be listening via the Internet at www.710keel.com. Also thanking those who might be listening via the streaming application on the Keel applications on their Apple and Android devices. We do thank AARP Louisiana and Bears, Tenant Country of Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler Ram, and Jeep dealer for being the exclusive sponsors of this radio show to provide you with beneficial information each and every Saturday morning. In just a few minutes, we're going to learn about a recent research study which found that a single brain scan can diagnose Alzheimer's disease. So stay to the show for some very interesting information for you or your loved ones. It is Saturday, September the 17th, and we are broadcasting our show from the studios of News Radio 710 Keel, a town square media station here in Shreveport, Louisiana. However, today's show has been pre-recorded, so we will be unable to accept call-in questions and comments from our loyal radio listeners. Be sure to pick up our September issue, The Best of Times, at one of our 270 distribution locations. This issue is a very, very popular issue, and uh, make sure you, you go around and pick up a copy, and those there may be quite few available as of September 17th, as it went out on September 1st. We do appreciate your compliments about our magazine. If you don't uh, find a copy at one of our 270 distribution locations, remember, you can always visit our popular website at www.thebestoftimesnews.com to view both current and past issues of our magazine, as well as to listen to previously broadcast shows here on the Best of Times Radio Hour. In addition, you can view and download the current 2022 Silver Pages Senior Resource Directory on our website as well. Great news, our friends at Ernest Arlene's has brought back the Best of Times special dinner on Thursdays from 4.30 p.m. until closing. Fabulous meals offered at a highly discounted price of only $25. It is highly recommended due to the popularity of this Thursday night special to make advanced reservations by calling 318-226-1325. Again, that's 318-226-1325. Do make plans to attend the largest Senior Boomer Expo in the state of Louisiana. It's the 12th Annual Senior Day Expo at the Louisiana State Fair, which will take place on Thursday, October the 27th, from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. in the Hearst Coliseum in Shreveport. Of course, there will be free admission, free parking, lots of fun, entertainment, presentation, hundreds and hundreds of giveaways. In addition to many door prizes, health screenings, vaccines, information from over 120 exhibitors. Attendees can also register to win one of seven grand door prizes valued at more than $1,000 each. But you must be present to win all of our door prizes, including our seven grand door prizes. Remember, it's Thursday, October the 27th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. in the Hearst Coliseum in Shreveport. We'll be right back with more information, but now we're with my sponsors and advertisers who make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Keel, proudly presented by AARP Louisiana and Abares Tenant Country of Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler Ram, and Jeep dealer. 
Gary Kaligas will be right back with more Best of Times Radio Hour after this on 1017 FM and 710 Keel. For Best of Times Radio Hour on 1017 FM and 710 Keel. Welcome back to our show, the Best of Times Radio Hour, proudly presented by AARP Louisiana and Bearstown and Country Rush Report, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. I'm Gary Kaligas, and I thank you for taking time to listen to our show today. Joining me on my show, I have three special guests today. Uh, it's a Dr. Henry Mankey, like Taco, no, Mansky. did I pronounce it right, Doc? Good enough. I usually say Monka, but I'm Monka. I'm sorry. I should figure out that one. I rebaptize people occasionally on my show. My guests know my guest, but my oh. my listeners know that too occasionally. He's the CEO of Fantastic. Brain HQ, and he's going to discuss this new medical research breakthrough regarding the diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease. But also, I have in my show some local uh, healthcare professionals, Mr. Tyler Reeks, a senior graduate student studying brain imaging here at LSU Medical. School, right? Yes, Welcome, Tyler. Thank you. I've known Tyler for many years. I think when he was like fourteen. No, like that. <laughs> uh, and I have uh, Dr. Murnane, who is Dr. Kevin Murnane, who is with LSU Health's report here. And um, as I tell our listeners, I have a senior moment here. Sure, I'm an associate professor in pharmacology and in the psychiatry department. So I've invited these two, uh, Dr. Henry, to to join in. So. First of all, thank you for taking time from your busy schedule to be on my, my little radio show here, but hopefully we're going to educate 100-plus thousand people in our in our catchment area about this unique study and the other things that you offer. Hey, Dr. Henry, tell us a little bit about Brain HQ. Yeah, no, I'll be happy to. So, you know, the idea before <laughs> before our technology had a tick up, you know, is the thing that what we had discovered and labs around the world have studied is the brain can rebuild and reorganize itself at any age. And so what Brain HQ is, it's a collection of brain training exercises that are based on this really solid science that we can rebuild and reorganize the brain with the right kind of brain training and help the brain think faster and focus better. And uh, by improving information processing in the brain, hey, we can improve cognitive skills and we can make the brain more healthy and more resilient. And uh, and that's what we've been doing here at Brain HQ for a number of years now is pushing that science forward and running a lot of clinical trials to show it works. Wow, that's that's exciting. So how are the outcomes? How are your outcomes? <laughs> They're very, very good at this point. Wow. You know, there's more than 200 papers that have been published using Brain HQ exercises. And, uh, you know, what they show over and over again is that by improving how the brain processes information, by helping that be faster and more accurate, we can improve things like speed and memory and attention, and then even improve real-world skills. So, for example, um, hey, older drivers who do this kind of brain training, they show about a 48% lower risk of having an at-fault car crash, Whoa. essentially because your brain is sharper, your visual system is faster and more accurate when you're on the road. Uh, you actually stay out of crashes more reliably. You know, you see that car coming in out of the corner of your eye and you, you know, step on the brake or make a lane change to keep yourself safe. And a lot of other just great results there that, you know, what they really show us is, hey, the brain is at the center of everything we do. So by taking care of your brain, right, you're going to live a, a better, happier, uh, maybe even a longer life. Well, I know our medical school offers some of these things, and I, I don't know if it's similar to what you're doing, brain exercise, exercise the brain, et cetera. Is, is this similar? Is this like online, or you come visit clinicians at your, your clinic in San Francisco? 
Yeah, Brain HQ is actually an online program. Really? Okay, um, I didn't it's know a that. Web browser. Yeah, it runs on a tablet or a phone. And in fact, if anyone wants to try it out, they can go to www.brainhq.com and register for free and try out an exercise. It'll give you a new one every day. You see if it's for you or not. Um, but yeah, we kind of took a lot of science. You know, the lab I was in, you know, what we studied was how to reorganize the brain. And when, uh, when we founded the company, my boss called me up and he said, hey, Henry, we've helped a lot of rats get better brains. We've helped a lot of monkeys get better brains. <laughs> kind of helped some people get better brains. Wow. So really what we're doing is taking that kind of science of brain plasticity, which I think every neuroscientist in the world now is familiar with, and turning into an applied program that, you know, real people can do on their computers or their phones to uh, to help sharpen their brain brain. Well, that's and again, what's it's important is it's backed by the trials to show that it works, right? I mean, you can find a million brain games on your phone, as you probably know. But uh, I'm proud to say that we're really one of the few um, few brain training programs out there that's really been backed by going through just a lot of gold standard clinical trials. At this point. So again, I'll very... mention I mentioned to my listeners it's www.brainhq.com. Is that correct? Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, I hope Got a sharp way. brain right there. I can tell already. Well, not that sharp. Not today. I'm having some senior moments. I hate to call them that, but at 72, <laughs> you get a, you get them occasionally. Uh, I think I have jet lag from uh, Las Vegas, but it's all right. Uh, <laughs> so that's very impressive. Wow. Uh, so, it, you know, I, I, while I have you on the show here, because I, yeah. it, I've dealt with some physicians in the past, and my son's a physician, and in, oh, years, wow. in years past, uh, I've been doing this 20 years, I had some guest on my show this was several years ago and we do a magazine doc dr henry and in this magazine we always put in crossword puzzle word puzzles and etc but the the studies must have been 20 years ago that they didn't find any relationship with those puzzles to help the brain but now but now i hear it does right well you know, science on this has come a long way. And, uh, you know, I talk to a lot of people about brain health, as you might imagine, right? You know, I meet right. someone at a party or a dinner, and I tell them what I do. And, you know, what the first thing they ask me always is, is they say, uh, hey, I do a lot of crossword puzzles, right? <laughs> is that going to stop me from getting Alzheimer's? And, um, you know, I wish the answer were yes, because if doing crossword puzzles could stop us from getting Alzheimer's, uh, we would all be very happy. That it was yes, that we would. Easy. My uh, my grandfather passed away from Alzheimer's when I was about 10 years old, and that's a, that's a pretty difficult journey for any family to go through. And, uh, you know, if it was easy as crossword puzzles, I don't think anyone in America would have, uh, have Alzheimer's anymore. The challenge is, is a lot more tough than that. And, and you know, it gets, it gets a little bit tricky, but I, I want to walk you through it, and um, if you don't mind, which is a lot of people think, well, hey, if I just keep my brain busy, right? You know, we kind of think the brain's like a muscle. Anything we do keeps it busy, and I guess that's good for it. And I guess that's why people think, hey, crossword puzzles are a good idea because that keeps my brain busy. True. But what's actually going on in the brain is a little bit trickier and more subtle than you know, what starts to happen as we get older, and uh, here the bad news is when I say older, I mean older than about 27. So Tyler might be on the wrong side of it, but I think the rest <laughs> of us are on the wrong side of it. You know, uh, right after that, you, you know, cognitive function starts to plateau and then go downhill. And, and as a scientist, as a brain scientist, very specifically what we mean is that a brain information processing gets noisier. You know, it's kind of like there's a little bit of radio static in your brain that gets louder and louder on the average as you get age. And, you know, hey, if there's some static going on, it's harder to pay attention, harder to hear what someone says, harder to remember what they say. 
And, um, and you know, that just kind of happens to us on the average as we get older. And, you know, there's a lot of ways in science you can show that that static happens. Like old, older people are worse at hearing words in a noisy environment than younger people. And that's because not only do they have the noise of a noisy restaurant, but they also have that noise inside their brain. And so it's that noise that's starting to, to you know, cause those memory and thinking problems that we all notice and, uh, and think about. The good news is, is that, hey, we can get rid of a lot of that noise by training the brain to be faster and more accurate. And if you end up trying these brain HQ exercises, there's a lot of exercises, but almost all of them at their core are training the brain to be faster and more accurate. And that's quite a bit different than doing crossword puzzles. So if you're doing crossword puzzles, hey, first of all, people should do things they like. I'm not here to tell anyone not to do crossword puzzles. (laughs) But, hey, when you think about what's the brain doing during a crossword puzzle, you know, you're thinking, you feel like you're busy. I get that. But you're not really training your brain to be fast or accurate. You can sit there and stare at the clue all day long. There's no rush. You can put it down for a while, drink some coffee, read the newspaper, (laughs) and come back to it, right? Right. So you're not really pushing your brain to be fast and accurate in that way. And that's the same, I think, for a lot of things that are around keeping your brain busy. I don't know. Do you uh, play this uh, game that's uh, really popular these days called Wordle? I think oh, it's yes. The oh, yes. Time. Yes. Sure. So, you know, I like playing Wordle, too. My wife introduced it to me. And, um, you know, I have gotten better at playing Wordle over time. But if you look at the way you get better at playing Wordle, you know, you get a better strategy. Like you get a better starting word, right? You start to get a little bit more clever about how to pick words. Well, those strategies are great for solving Wordle, but they don't really rewire how your brain is working at like a deep fundamental level. And, And that's why games like Crossword Puzzles or Wordle, fun, keep your brain busy, but they're not really changing your brain health or improving your cognitive function. You really have to be doing something that's making your brain faster and more accurate to do that. And of course, that's what we can do with computerized brain training exercises like this, because they run on a computer. You can bring all of that under control, and we have them very adaptive. So hey, wherever your brain starts, it's going to give you the right level of challenge for you, and then it's going to push your brain to be just a little bit faster, just a little bit harder. And that's that adaptive kind of gradual way that the science shows us we can rewire these brains, make them more resilient, and help people think faster and focus better and remember more. Oh, that's good. That's good. So my listeners out there, he's saying keep doing it because I know all of you out there love it because, Dr. Henry, if we accidentally leave out a Sudoku or a crossword puzzle, I get at least 500 telephone calls and 55 emails per day and telling when are you going to put it's a monthly publication. I said it's too late. We forgot. It didn't go in there. It went in there for some reason. It'll be in there next month, guarantee. So the, the little ladies yep. and my gentlemen yep. will, I mean, I, they're, they're so cognizant of that. I'm, I'm impressed they remember that it's in there every month. But hey, but again, well, I'm glad you're a little synopsis. So it's, it's not purely curative, but it's definitely psychologically going to help them, right? I think it makes them all happy. Well, it's a fun thing to do and you know we should be doing things that in general make us happy right you know playing games all kinds of things like this um but you know i wouldn't want anyone to think hey that was going to be the the treatment for cognitive decline and alzheimer's people are going to have to do more to take care of their brains Uh, and brain training is a part of it it's something obviously i know a lot about but there's actually a lot of things that people can do in their ordinary life that contribute to their brain health. Okay. And we're learning more and more, for example, that, um, hey, good physical exercise, as well as being good for your heart, also helps keep your brain healthy. We're learning that, hey, following a healthy diet, kind of like, again, the diet that you follow for heart health, but modified in a few ways, a few more leafy green vegetables, more blueberries, that ends up being a brain-healthy diet, too. We're really learning interesting things about the role of getting a good night's sleep and the role of lowering your stress. 
all of things, these things can help brain health. And maybe one of the most important things to say is, you know, often when we think about the brain, we think about it in this very, like, psychological, spiritual way, right? The brain is myself and my memories and my connection with the, the greater, you know, beyond me. And, and that's wonderful. I, I'm not going to say anything bad about that at all. But as biologists, we also have to think about the brain as a, a wet physical organ inside your skull, kind of floating in some salty water. And hey, just like your heart can be healthy or unhealthy, just like your liver can be healthy or unhealthy, your brain can be healthy or unhealthy. And the kinds of things you do, your exercise, your sleep, your diet, your brain training, all those things can make the brain healthier and unhealthy. And we're really moving to an age where we're starting to think about, hey, how can we monitor and track and and maintain our brain health just the way we might monitor and track and maintain our physical health. And that's, that's an exciting revolution that's really happening here. Awesome advice. Okay, let's move, let's move on uh, in this segment and the two next segments about the, the study, the new study that found a way to identify early stages in Alzheimer's. So start it off, Doc. Dr. Henry. Yeah. Uh-oh. Are you there? I'm still here. I'm oh, still I'm here. sorry. Uh, we were worried. We might have lost you. I know. It's no, like... no. I, I'm here. I'm here. I was, you, we were saying you were going to move on to the next segment. Well, no, no, no. I'm sorry. That was a, meant this segment and next segment. Okay. So go ahead. Give us a little overview on it, and we'll talk. We'll we'll get some dialogue between my guest here with you in, in this segment and the next segment. Go ahead. Yeah, wonderful. So, you know, the summary of this result, which I think is pretty exciting for a lot of us in the field, is, um, hey, the scientists in Britain, in the UK, have developed a new way to use a pretty easy form of brain imaging to, um, to pretty accurately diagnose whether a person has Alzheimer's or not. And, and, and that's pretty exciting for a couple of reasons. You, you know, when we think about Alzheimer's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a disease of cognitive decline, of course, right? If you've had someone with your family and who's gone through this, you know, it's kind of a gradual process where they're getting worse and worse, right? They're forgetting names and then maybe getting disoriented about where they are and then maybe they can't button their clothes anymore. And, and you're just never really quite sure, hey, is this maybe normal or is this more than expected? Like, when is the point at which we diagnose someone with Alzheimer's disease? And it's been tricky to define. And one of the reasons for that is that when scientists say Alzheimer's disease, what they really mean is that your brain is getting this, this damage to it that are called these amyloid plaques or these tau tangles. And the names don't really matter too much. You can just think about it as, hey, you're getting this kind of debris, almost this poisonous kind of you know, trash and waste in your brain. But of course, you know, I can't look in your brain and see if you have it or not, right? That would be impolite on my part to crack your skull open and have a look. So all we have is kind of the decline that you're experiencing, and we kind of have to guess if you have this uh, damage or not. Now, what these scientists in Britain did is they took a very ordinary brain scan called an MRI, magnetic resonance imaging. And the great thing about MRI is, you know, hey, just about every hospital in America has an MRI that they can put you through. It's not expensive. There's no, there's no radiation. It's perfectly safe. Uh, you just go inside the magnet for 15 or 20 minutes, and they get a very clear image of your brain. And what they did is they basically looked at a lot of these pictures, these MRIs of people with and without Alzheimer's, and using a pretty sophisticated machine learning artificial intelligence algorithm, they figured out, hey, what are the parts of this picture that are most sensitive to the diagnosis of Alzheimer's? And what that means now is they developed an algorithm where they can take these pictures and then make a guess with 98% accuracy if you have Alzheimer's or not. Wait a second, 98% yeah. accuracy? 
Yeah, wow. that was the result, and that's that is a really good test. Uh, you know, the only way you're going to get better is to again crack that person's skull open, which we're not going to do, right? Right. And uh, and well, that's really good because you know a lot of people. I mean, maybe you have someone in your life, your father, an aunt, a brother, a sister, and they're starting to have this cognitive decline, and you're just not quite sure: is this an ordinary senior moment, or you know, are they really have Alzheimer's disease, and we need to think about this more seriously, or maybe they're on the way. And what it means when this technology gets rolled out is you can should be able to just go to the clinic go to the hospital get an mri scan again no risk easy thing in and out and a couple days later they'll be able to say hey this is ordinary brain health you know there's things you should do about it but you don't need to worry about alzheimer's or say hey this really is alzheimer's and i think that's that's helpful i mean early detection is helpful for a lot of reasons we'll talk about that in a moment i'm sure Um, but that really is uh is exciting that we might be able to do that That more reliably going forward well, hold that thought. We'll be right back with more information. But now a word from our sponsors and advertisers who make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Keel, proudly presented by AARP Louisiana and Bear Standing Country of Shreveport, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. Gary Kaligas will be right back with more Best of Times Radio Hour after this on 1017 FM and 710 Keel. Gary's back with more Best of Times Radio Hour on 101.7 FM and 710 Kiel. Welcome back to our show, the Best of Times Radio Hour, proudly presented by AARP Louisiana Neighbors, Standing Country of Shreveport, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. Joining me on my show today, I have three special guests, Dr. Henry Mensky, who is the CEO of Brain HQ, and he's going to be discussing the new medical research breakthrough regarding the diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease. Also in the studio, I have Mr. Tyler Reeks, who is a senior graduate student studying brain imaging, and Dr. Kevin Mordain, who is with LSU Health Report in the area and in the in the pharmacology and brain and psychiatry by psychiatry. Oh, I'm going to be psychoanalyzing in a few <laughs> minutes. So again, thank you all of you all for joining us today on our show. So Dr. Henry, let's continue about this fabulous research and study that was just recently um, made public. Is that right? Yeah, it just came out a few uh, a few weeks ago, maybe a month or two ago now. So, yeah, I'm hot off the presses from a science perspective. You know, so, these kinds of studies take years to run, and then they publish, yeah. so it's very exciting. When they so give publish. a summary, quick summary for people that might have tuned in, and now they're coming back to the show. So give them, give them a summary of what this research found. Yeah, yeah. Is these researchers in Britain found that with a simple brain image, an MRI, which any hospital in America can get, they can diagnose Alzheimer's at 98% accuracy. And that's incredibly exciting because Alzheimer's is pretty hard to diagnose these days. Often the scientists or clinicians aren't really quite sure if a person meets the criteria or not. And this could really help people get an earlier warning sign that their brains aren't healthy and they need to take action and can help families that are trying to figure out, hey, what's going on with the brain health of my mom or my sister or my dad? So how how currently do do physicians and clinicians of state like, hey, here's a list of words. How many can you remember? Uh, why don't you draw like, hey, here's a list of words. How many can you remember? Uh, why don't you draw a clock? Let's see if you can place the numbers in the hands in the right place. 
you know, here's some pictures. Can you recognize what these are? And then a long discussion, both with the, with the person who might have Alzheimer's and then their family members. Because there's a lot of reasons a person can have cognitive decline that aren't Alzheimer's, right? Maybe you fell down the stairs and, and had a, you know, had a TBI, had a concussion, right? Maybe, uh, you know, you've, you've had COVID and you've probably heard all the time now that a lot of people who've had COVID have brain fog afterwards. So it's pretty complicated for that neurologist to figure out, hey, does this person really meet the criteria for Alzheimer's exactly? Uh, but it is primarily, you know, they diagnose by talking to you and giving you these paper and simple tests. So the breakthrough here is, hey, to complement that, to help that, maybe even to make it faster and more accurate, they can put you uh, and do this quick brain image. Again, very easy, doesn't take very long, perfectly safe, no radiation or anything like that. Just really just use a magnet to take a picture of your brain. And then basically use this fancy machine learning algorithm that kind of compares your brain to the brains of hundreds of people, some of whom had Alzheimer's, and some had didn't, to figure out, hey, does your brain kind of look more like the folks who had Alzheimer's? And that, coming out of the study, they can do it about 98% accuracy. Well, Tyler, don't, so that would be the change. don't you compare imaging of other patients to current patients? Does it compare some? Do you compare somebody's had Alzheimer's? And you have their brain scan, and somebody's coming new in to look at their brain scan, right? So, so we can take a look, but it, it's not it's it's not necessarily always done. And so, my my question that I have is, you know, how important moving forward with the new medications coming down the line and things like that? How important is it to now start getting this imaging and things like that? Got the question? So he wants to know how yeah. important is it? How how is early diagnosis? That you're trying to say, right? And is it going to be scary to an individual that? gets diagnosed when the early age they're they're on an early stage of Alzheimer's. That's a good question. I had it on my list too. Yeah. You know, I think it is a great question. And you know, one of the biggest challenges of course with diagnosis is hey, diagnosis is only useful if we're gonna do something about it. And uh, you know, there's been a lot of debate sort of from a from an ethical perspective in the Alzheimer's field. If we had a perfect Alzheimer's test, but we had no advice to give anyone who had Alzheimer's you know, is it ethical to give that test to someone and tell them they have Alzheimer's, but there's nothing that uh, that you can do? And there's, there's been a lot of back and forth in the field about this. Uh, I'm certainly curious to hear your other guests' opinion on, on whether that's appropriate or not. You know, from where I sit, um, you know, I think there's just more and more evidence that if we detect cognitive decline at its early stages, certainly by the time an early stage Alzheimer's is diagnosed, or ideally well before that, we can, you know, see that someone's on the path today. I think there's more and more science showing us what those people can do to keep their brain healthy. You know, we talked briefly about the role of physical exercise and sleep and healthy eating, for example. You know, obviously I'm involved in, uh, in cognitive training, which has shown great data. And, you know, my take on it is, hey, if we can if we can make brain testing as common and as easy as blood pressure testing, then we can move to a real preventative or a treatment model for the earliest stages of cognitive decline. You know, just like when you go to your doctor and you get a blood pressure cuff on, like you cannot go to your doctor and not get your blood pressure tested, right? Yeah. I went in to get my uh, my COVID shot a while ago, and the first thing they did was test my blood pressure. Um, and that's because, hey, there's so much we can do if we get an early diagnosis of heart health problems through a blood pressure test. And, you know, where I think we are going as, as brain scientists and clinicians is, hey, if we can get early insight into when you're starting to have brain health issues and cognitive decline, and we can use that diagnosis not to scare you, right, not to say all the doom and gloom, but to say, hey, your brain health is, is not going in the direction we want it to, 
you know, here's a prescription for you around around what you can do in your life. You know, this kind of exercise is going to be helpful. This kind of diet is going to be helpful. This kind of brain training is going to be helpful. You know, I think we can turn this into a world where we're helping people discover their risk earlier and then giving them, you know, true science-based things that they can change in their lives that are going to help them. And as Tyler mentions, at some point we may have some new drugs, although this has been a very tough field for drug discovery, as uh, everyone on the line here knows. But uh, we can hold out that hope that that's eventually going to come down the road. Well, let's hope they come up with something that maybe in the near future, 20 or 30 years from now, that can remove that plaque. You know, they determine it's there early. Maybe yeah. they can, they they won't have to come in there. Maybe they can figure out somewhere like you know, uh, to to take it up. Any any comment, Doc? Sure, yeah, and I think um, I, I definitely agree. That's um, what Tyler and and Henry were saying, and 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 isn't um, probably of use to people to be able to sleep better and to eat better and to exercise more. There's a, a wealth of information and data and studies showing that that is helpful in many many aspects of life, but. Just to present a sort of counterpoint and sort of nuancing thinking about it, it's also very, very important, um, and there's a wealth of data on this too, that people have a positive, hopeful, optimistic attitude. And when somebody is diagnosed with Alzheimer's, um, that's a very profound experience for somebody to go through because um, as of today, there's, there's hope on the future that we will develop these things, but to date we haven't developed effective treatments for Alzheimer's and um, something like diet and exercise definitely promotes brain health and will protect the health, um, the brain, the health of the brain to an extent. But when these toxins are inside of your brain, they might overwhelm the capacity of a healthy brain to function. And so it's very, very important to separate um, typical age-related decline that we're all going to go through versus a pathological condition like Alzheimer's where some of these interventions just may not be quite as effective um, compared to, you know, typical age-related declines. So we have to be careful in a diagnostic test because 98% sounds like a very good test. That sounds like a pretty good number, but um, that being off even a few percentage points is a big difference in somebody's life. If somebody is incorrectly told they have Alzheimer's, that's going to have a huge impact in their life. And if somebody's um, not diagnosed with Alzheimer's, that also could potentially have an impact. So 98% is a great number. That's big progress. That's big help. But just, you know, that's, and we're going to continue to expand these technologies and these techniques. And there's other things like uh, pet imaging that can actually identify the presence of these toxins that could be used maybe in combination to boost that 98% even higher. But just think about if you're that one person, you know, or two people out of 100 that are told incorrectly you do or don't have Alzheimer's, that. Um, they would probably hope that number. Well, was I, I would, I would also say that some people that's going to get this, like they get any kind of diagnosis, so they become sometimes depressed, right. and the, the the psycho becomes really bad. I mean, right. for example, y'all probably know about it more than I do. Many years ago, they did this precision medicine for breast cancer, right? And I know some ladies that got it and got the one, and they were super depressed. Early diagnosis of breast cancer. And I, th- I think even the ethically, uh, some insurance company, I think they stopped it now. I think it's a federal law. You can't use it against you in your health care. But, right. you know, they, employers wouldn't hire you if they found out by hook or crook, right? So, Absolutely. As, as Henry noted earlier, you know, the, the, yeah. we think of the brain as this sort of psychological <laughs> um, manifestation of our, of our psyche. But it's a, it's a biological entity. And the um, psychological output has profound 
influence on the biological output. So if we're depressed or we're not hopeful or we're not positive about things, that can potentially change the course of a disease. Right. So it's okay. really, really important to right. maintain a hopeful, positive outlook. Dr. Henry, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm you generally... that privacy. Uh, oh, I just wanted to mention that privacy issue because that's so important. Oh. You know, as we start to think about this kind of testing like this, the rules and regulations we have and just the procedures around patient privacy probably all need a tweak. Um, I, I think what uh, I think it was Tyler who was speaking is exactly right. You know, imagine you're, you're, you're 62 years old, you're still working, you got a full-time job, and you go in for one of these tests, and they come back and say, hey, look, you have the earliest signs of Alzheimer's. That's why maybe your memory hasn't been so great. Hey, man, that is nobody's business but yours, right? Your, your job does not need to know about it. Your friends do not need to know about it. That, that information should be entire. And certainly your insurance company should have no business knowing about that. Or if they ever do, then we have to have very strong protections in place to make sure that you don't lose access to your health insurance and your life insurance. So I think it really raises some interesting implications for, hey, as this technology starts to come online, and as we start to diagnose it a bit better, you know, we got to make sure that people are not, um, you know, harmed or discriminated against them at that. Well, the follow-up, the follow-up question I have you, which I know 100,000 of listeners going to ask, going to want me to ask you this question: Is it available in the United States now? No, no, not yet. Okay, and, say and that again. It's exactly because right. I'm sure that a lot of them going to email yeah. me. Where can I get a hold of this doctor? And <laughs> and I want the test done for me, my loved one, my aunt. Uh, I, I guarantee you, I don't. I haven't seen much PR about it throughout the United States, other than this you know, release I've got. It's, uh, it's probably coming slowly but surely. But you know, just to build on what Kevin said, uh, and, and Kevin, you're exactly right on this front. Yeah, you see a 98% in a, in a published scientific paper, and hey, that's reason for excitement, right? That is right. a good scientific result. But I imagine, as Kevin knows quite well in his role, um, hey, there's still a big step from translating something from research science to, hey, we can use this in the clinic reliably and, and appropriately. And I, you know, I, I would uh, I would believe that these researchers are probably now in that in that process of starting to work with the folks who you know sell in the magnetic uh, the MRI machines and working to do physician education around how this might be used. You know, there's always a big step between hey that scientific publication and then uh, and then it actually being in a clinic. So probably not time quite yet to go bother your doctor and say I want one of those new tests. But that being said, you know, if in your hundred thousand listeners you have people who, um, you know, they're maybe worried about their brain health. Maybe they feel like they're slowing down. Maybe they feel like their memory's not quite what it used to be. You know, that is a really good thing to bring up with your doctor when you talk to your doctor next. You know, everyone in Medicare, you're actually guaranteed by law a free cognitive health evaluation every year during your Medicare wellness visit. And, hey, not a lot of people take advantage of it, but if you are on Medicare, you're entitled to that. Your doctor should give that to you. Mention and, that. Uh, mention that one more time, Doc, because I don't think yeah. any of my physicians ever been on my show. Even my Medicare experts have said that. <laughs> you know, if you're part of Medicare, you get a free annual wellness visit right? every year, and by law, that annual wellness visit is supposed to include a cognitive health evaluation. Oh. Now. Okay. Hey, not everyone does it. Not everyone asks for it. But hey, if you have any kind of you know observations about your own brain health, slowing down, memory's not quite what it used to be. You know, talk to your doctor about it because they can um, even even before this new brain imaging technology gets released broadly, your doctor has a lot of things they can do to figure out. Hey, is this just you know a little bit normal? Hey, we all hey I'll slow down a little bit as we get older, or is this something that's a little bit different than normal? And you you should get referred to a neurologist. You should get a proper diagnosis the way we've been talking about. You know, I'm a believer that um, you shouldn't be scared to find out something about how your body. 
body works. You want to find out because if you find out, you know, hey, then you can take action. Drugs are going to come someday. Maybe that might be topic for another discussion. I'm a little more skeptic myself. But hey, right now there are things that you to improve your brain health. Again, whether it's exercise or diet or sleep or stress reduction or, or cognitive training, brain training, you know, all these things are going to help your brain, your brain health. And if you get that diagnosis or if your doctor says, hey, this is a little bit more memory loss than usual, you don't quite have Alzheimer's yet, you know, don't treat that as something to be scared of. Treat that as something that's, you know, kind of a, kind of a wake-up call to, to take care of yourself. Yeah, probably a lot of people have had a situation sometime in their lives where, um, hey, you know, you put on an old pair of pants and it just doesn't fit anymore. And you're like, you know what? It's time to eat better. It's time to get some exercise. And, hey, that's right, right? That can be a helpful wake-up cycle. That's not something to be afraid of. That's not something to, you know, put off or be scared of. It's a a signal that, hey, take better care of your body. And I really hope that we are moving towards a world where we're treating these signals as, hey, these are good signals to take better care of your brain. Not something to be afraid of, not something to be ashamed of, not something to have stigma about. But, hey, great. I'm glad I found that out. Let me take some steps to take better better care of my brain health because I want my brain to last as long as my body does as I'm growing older. Well, hold that thought. We'll be right back with more information. But now we're with our sponsors and advertisers who do make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Keel, proudly presented by AARP Louisiana and Bears Town and Country of Shreveport, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. Gary Kaligas will be right back with more Best of Times Radio Hour after this on 1017 FM and 710 Keel. 7 FM and 710 Keel. Welcome back to our show, the Best of Times Radio Hour, proudly presented by AERP Louisiana and Bears Tending Country of Shreveport, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. I have three fabulous guests on my show, and we're discussing a new medical research breakthrough to diagnose Alzheimer's disease. And Mr. Dr. Henry, with the CEO of Brain HQ, has been giving us an overview of this particular clinical study that just got released. So thank you, Dr. Henry, for joining us today here on the Best of Times Radio Hour. It's been a pleasure, and a pleasure to talk to uh, talk to Tyler and Kevin as well. Wow, you're you're a fantastic presenter. I, I'm very impressed. I've had I've had over two thousand guests on my show. You're one of the best presenters I've ever had. That's very kind of you. I had a big cup of coffee this morning. Oh, uh, good. Positive enhancer, so maybe that helps. It must be the fresh air in San Francisco area. <laughs> so, Doctor Kevin wants to ask you something here. He would. Sure, yeah, Kevin. sure, yeah. So, you know, I've been I've been thinking about this study, and it it seems. Um, in part because of the things we've been talking about, like 98% might be qu- not quite as high as, you know, we, we want to take it eventually, and um, privacy issues and reimbursement issues. It's, uh, it doesn't yeah. seem in the short term this is going to get integrated into the standard of care model. I don't think people will be coming to LSU um, in the foreseeable future and getting this as part of their routine workups. But where this does seem very um, hopeful to me is that, on previous attempts to develop um, robust interventions like drug interventions and device interventions and even vaccine kind of interventions for Alzheimer's have um, not been as successful as we've hoped. And the belief is yeah. that in part because we um, intervene a little bit too late in that process. So having a, an early diagnostic for this, it seems like it will be very, very helpful. And its um, most immediate positioning will be in guiding and developing the new generation of, of treatments for Alzheimer's. Hmm. Okay. 
Yeah, you know, I, uh, I, I generally agree in the, I think the direction you're laying out there. I, I might be a little bit more optimistic than you that, um, hey, we're going to see routine MR analysis like this as part of the initial diagnostic workup. But, but, uh, but you see more patients than I do. <laughs> I'll defer to your expertise on that front. But I, I do agree with you that, um, and again, I, I'm not here to talk down the study. I think it's a great study. But you're right. When you hear that 98% accuracy, part of that is because, um, hey, people with Alzheimer's brains look quite a bit different than normal healthy brains. And as you correctly say, Kevin, the whole field is shifting towards earlier and earlier intervention. There's, you know, most people in the field, whether they're dealing with behavioral interventions like me and brain training, or whether they're thinking about drug interventions, you know, the whole field is moving towards, hey, we need to detect this disease, this cognitive decline earlier, and we need to do the interventions, whether it's a behavioral intervention or drug intervention earlier. And so what that means is probably I would hope to see that the next step of this research tackles that next step harder problem, which is, okay, we're pretty good at distinguishing Alzheimer's from a healthy brain. How about distinguishing a brain from a, that has the earliest signs of cognitive decline, which is, you know, we generally think of as mild cognitive impairment, MCI. You know, can we distinguish that from a normal functioning brain? How about in just a range of normal brains? Can we use this kind of brain imaging to find people who are kind of at the low end of the spectrum with regard to brain health? These are harder problems than those numbers. I think you and I would agree are going to go down at that point. But that's probably where we need the science to go because when you have a patient come in, you know, you want to know, um, hey, when they complain about their memory, are they just worried because people worry and they don't need to worry? Or, hey, are they on those first very subtle but important steps of changes in brain health and we want to help them, you know, right now <laughs> to improve their exercise and their diet and their and their brain training and their overall brain health. So I, I hope that's where the future of this research goes, to tackle that harder and harder problem. I, I hope so, too. But one more quick question before we have to call it quits here for this hour show i know my guests out there are thinking outside the box but some of them are really brilliant i've already had contacts one lady said i've already had a brain scan done with an mri and she read the report because i sent her the link to this research study she said why can't i get my physician to send it to uk london where they did this <laughs> isn't that, that pretty is smart a great question what and do we have, tell them hundred thousand people are like Yes, <laughs> I can tell you that. And she has it exactly right, actually, um, which is, uh, hey, if I've already had my brain scan done, you know, can't they just take that data and send it off for analysis? And um, hey, there, there's two there's two potential issues here, one of which is, um, hey, the brain scan may have been done in a normal MR machine, but they may need to kind of tweak a little bit the settings on that machine to get exactly the right kind of data for this oh, analysis. Oh, okay. So that's one possibility. And then the second issue exactly is, I think Kevin highlighted, is, hey, this is America, and we have a kind of complex healthcare system around reimbursement. And, you know, if that data, you know, even if it was the right kind of image, if you sent it to the U.K. for analysis, well, who's going to pay for it? Is your insurance company going to pay for it? I mean, uh, you know, I bet a lot of your listeners have, have had some discussions with their insurance companies around what gets paid for and what doesn't. Well, exactly. definitely, definitely. And, uh, you know, as Kevin says, you know, for this technology to really become useful at a broad level, you know, they will eventually have to, uh, insurance companies will eventually have to see the value in this kind of early diagnosis and have to agree that they're going to pay for not just the scan, but pay for that analysis as well. 
So uh, I, I really respect the ambition of your listener. You know, just send this off to the UK and have, have a look. And, uh, but, um, you know, I think those poor scientists in the UK are going to get buried with those requests. And unless insurance companies are going to pay them to do that, then that's not going to happen. So we have we have more to do to show the, the, the true value of this technology and then to convince insurance companies, hey, it's valuable to get this early diagnosis. We can do something about it that improves health outcomes and lower costs, which is what insurance company cares about. And as a result, uh, hey, we should make sure that insurance companies pay for this as a covered Medicare benefit. So. Well, thank you, Doc. That was that was wonderful. Hopefully, it satisfied most of my listeners out there. But uh, I'm sure I'll get a lot of cards and letters. But I'm glad you answered that fundamental major question about that one. But that's that's going to be probably representative of many people that are listening to this show today. So again, thank you for taking one, your valuable time to to be on our radio show. And thank you, thank you, Tyler, and thank you, Doctor Kevin, for also helping us helping me definitely helping me today. And I'm going to tell my listeners visit his website, uh, Doctor Hinder's website at www.brainhq.com. You're going to learn more information. I'm sure I haven't gone to it. I'm sorry, but I will be going to your website as well. So thank you for taking time to be on our show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on, and thanks for having this great panel of uh, very cool and interesting guests. Okay. Have a great day. Thank you. Everybody, don't forget to pick up your personal copy of The Best of Times in one of our 320 locations throughout the area. Be sure to tell your friends and neighbors to join our show next Saturday morning uh, for information that could benefit them or their loved ones. May God bless you and your family. God bless America. Have a great day and a great weekend. Thank you again for listening to our show. I'm Gary Caligas wishing you and yours the best of times both today and every day. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on 1017 FM and 710 Keel. Be sure to tune in next Saturday at 9 a.m. for more Best of Times. This is 1017 FM and 710 Keel.